Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, resilience. Today, I'm continuing the talk about critical uh, thinking skills. This week is part two, where I'm looking specifically at the importance of critical thinking skills for emotion regulation and anxiety management and how to build it specifically. Last week, I was talking about just generally critical thinking. And that's where I would always start anyways. But the capacity for critical thinking, so that's our ability to uh, think rationally, um, to understand the logical connection between ideas, to engage in reflective, independent reasoning. All of that is so important for our psychological well-being. It's important for learning and all of the other things, but also for that piece. And critical thinking is particularly important for our kiddos because... There are so many developmental considerations. I'm not going to get into all the nitty gritty of everything and all all the brain development and all of that. But I do want to say when our kids don't develop the critical thinking skills, we see so many adverse effects and they can persist into adulthood. And these negative consequences span everything, cognitive, social, emotional, right? All those domains. And then, of course, it has implications for mental health, for their academic performance, for even just, you know, as adults being part of society and the workforce and all of those kinds of things. So today, like I said, I'm going to focus specifically on you know, um, the critical thinking for emotion regulation and and how it makes it hard to critically evaluate emotional stimuli, right? That emotional stimuli is what interferes with our emotion regulation. So at the end of the day, our poor critical thinking, that reduces resilience and it's contributing to increased negative emotional states like anxiety and depression. So of course, when we look at emotion regulation, you know, it's how we influence, um, or the, the the emotional stimuli have an influence on our own emotional experience and expression. So there's a lot of points of intervention when we're looking at emotion regulation, right? And critical thinking is one of those intervention points. So the practice of reappraisal, for example, that involves us being able to reevaluate all of those automate, automatic negative thoughts, the automatic emotionally charged thoughts or emotions that come up with the situation. That's where critical thinking really plays a pivotal role. Now, of course, I want to put kids into the experiential, you know, experiences. They learn through experience. We're not just going to sit and try to reframe our thinking, but we need to have critical thinking to be able to do the learning that needs to happen even when we go into those experiences. Children and adolescents, they're, they're confronted with emotionally charged situations Every day, I would say, right? Um, They might resort to impulsive, maladaptive strategies when they don't have those critical thinking skills. Okay, so the absence of these skills lead to poorly managed emotions. And then it just kind of snowballs into bigger stress, bigger anger, bigger whatever else is going on for them and really emotional disorders like anxiety and depression. With that critical thinking, you know, they have the tools to be able to dissect situations objectively to take that step back, right? And say, hold on a second. Let's look at the whole picture. Let's zoom out and see the whole picture. They can identify some of those emotional triggers. They can reframe that narrative. They can regulate their emotions. When their critical thinking is limited, it's really hard for them to, like I said, critically evaluate that emotional stimuli. And so it just snowballs and reconfirms some of the challenges that they have, especially reconfirms the story that I can't handle it and I need you to help me, right? So there's a few places where we might see this lack of critical thinking that can really hamper that 
essentially what we're looking at is the evaluation piece of, of some of that emotional stimuli. So first, for example, is in the thinking where we see this confirmation bias. We're only looking for and we're only seeing information that aligns with their emotional state. They're not able to question its validity. Just see, see, everybody's looking meanly at me, right? So they're only on the lookout for people with grumpy faces who happen to be looking at them. And they're not questioning the validity, right? And they're not taking in all of the other information. Maybe there's somebody behind me that people are looking at, like, what is that guy doing over there, right? Or people who are smiling at them or whatever it is. Um, so, so for example, I often think of, you know, if you were swimming in the ocean and you saw a fin in front of you, you would probably automatically shark. And now you're focused on shark, 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 shark. And you're not looking at the whole bigger picture of, you know, maybe it could be a dolphin. And there's lots of other indicators. Like people are like, oh, wow, cool. Look at that, Right not running away screaming, but you're just going to look at the all of the information and only take in information that's going to serve, you know, whatever that that narrative that's happening. So they're not taking in other information that might tell us the opposite. And that's what anxiety does. It's cutting off our vision. It's making us blind to all of the other context cues because we're so blinded by the one thing that we're stuck on, Right. And so we see kids getting stuck in these negative emotional cycles. And if we try to tell them otherwise, it just escalates, right? And it just gets bigger. Now, a lack of critical thinking can also lead to emotional reasoning, right? Where emotions, we feel it physiologically in our body and that's reconfirming. See, it is a big deal. So those emotions are inaccurately considered as evidence for the truth, those physiological feelings that come with those emotions, that part of the emotions. So if we're feeling anxious, that becomes proof that something bad is for sure going to happen. And that's why those physiological symptoms become so problematic. And then they can't think about their thinking either, right? They're so focused on this information and trying to look out for danger. They're not thinking about their thinking like, hold on a second, let's take a step back. We need to be able to do that so we can evaluate the situation because they they really need to look at those anxious thoughts, the reality of them, the validity of them, the likelihood of them, right? So understand the conspiracies. It's the first guess. That's what our brain does. Our brain wants to jump to, especially if we're worried, you know, about our well-being, it's going to jump to the first conclusion. And it's usually fear-based. Something bad is going to happen. Our brain isn't going to wait around. If you see something rustling in the bush and you're in the middle of the mountains, you're not going to wait around to see what's in that bush, right? You're going to start getting on defense in case it's a predator who's going to run out and to attack you. So it's going to it, it makes its first best guess based on whatever stimuli is around us, and it's not going to wait around. So we're, we don't have time to think about, right? And so maybe in that situation, yes, we are going to react a little bit defensively. But if it's just every day and I'm sitting in the classroom and <gasps> I have all of these feelings, we're not able to consider the circumstances and the context. Like here is probably I'm not going to get eaten, right? So they're not understanding that those conspiracies or fallacies or the exaggerations in the thoughts that start coming up. And we start to evaluate them and see it's getting in the way of life. It's getting in the way of everything because it becomes so consuming. They can't think about it critically, right? So they can just never see 
oh my goodness. Okay. It was just my imagination playing trick on me. Okay. It is just a little deal. I hate little deal, big deal, by the way. Adults are always trying to say, you know, is this a big deal? Is it a little deal? Well, it's really minimizing for these kids because it is a big deal for them. And it's really hard for them to think about their own thoughts and see it from a different perspective. Um, in the first place, when big emotions are are, are coming up, which is why we got to do all of this really proactively anyway. Or examining what evidence there is or isn't for those big emotions, right? So then that's just going to perpetuate these irrational fears and anxieties. Getting curious, right? We want to get curious. When we're scared, we want to close our eyes, shut up in a ball, you know, run away. We we don't. We want to get curious. That's what we need to do. That's what's going to open up our brain. Literally, we're opening up our eyes. We're going to little op- open up our brain for different perspectives and to think about things differently. So looking at thoughts with that curiosity is so critical for anxiety management, especially when we're going to get unstuck from that cycle of catastrophic thinking, that anticipatory anxiety of something bad for sure is going to happen. When we don't have that critical thinking, there isn't any objective thinking happening, right? They end up conflating any subjective thoughts with objective facts. So as a result, any emotional stimuli, so our physiological feelings or whatever is going on, it might be assessed as even more threatening or even bigger, more significant than they truly are, right? So it's it's like, you know, confusing the probability that something could happen. Like, yeah, a plane crash could happen. It's not impossible, but they're taking that probability it could. I mean, the chances are very slim, but if there is a slim, slim chance Anxiety wants us to think for sure it's going to happen, right? So we see this. And so we see really limited emotional insight, really limited emotional awareness. So these poor critical thinkers, they might struggle with being able to identify how they're feeling, articulating their emotional states and what's happening in their body, right? So then of course they can't evaluate the emotional stimuli that's going on, right? That's why I focus so much on in the early day, dropping into the body, labeling, labeling our feelings, building that emotional literacy, building that interoceptive awareness, what is happening in my body proactively, not in the heat of the emotions, because the emotional brain is going to take it over and there's no learning going to happen. So we want to practice that proactively as much as we can. And without this ability to critically evaluate emotional stimuli, they're going to engage in really unhelpful coping behaviors like avoidance, like aggression, like denial, withdrawal, whatever it else is happening, which we know only prolongs and even intensifies that emotional distress. And for a lot of children and, and teens and adults, they're going to get stuck in that ongoing rumination and that ongoing catastrophizing. They just get so short-term focused in the here and now they get stuck. You know, they can't go beyond their own nose because they're so stuck there that they're going to do anything to get that immediate emotional relief, which is why we see the big behaviors trying to run away the reassurance to feel better immediately they're not thinking of the long term that my future me is just going to be more worse off right with having a harder time regulating my emotions whatever else but there's just no capacity in that moment for problem solving or emotion regulation so all of the skills we can't strengthen them without that critical thinking 
And then children become overly reliant on adults to cope, to make them feel better, to make decisions for them, to say their name and answer questions that other people ask or whatever else is going on. It's affecting their autonomy. It's affecting their self-efficacy. So we see these children becoming more vulnerable to more psychological issues as they get older and their resilience is really impaired. So at the end of the day, that critical thinking is a key piece of enhancing our emotion regulation and anxiety management. Because worry wants us to think the worst, right? And so we need to get unstuck. So what do we do? Well, proactively, all of the ideas, if you didn't listen to last week, part one, when I talk about critical thinking, definitely go back because I do have some ideas there. And I would start there because those ideas are more broad and general. They're not emotionally driven. And so that's a great way to get started, at least just to get the brain churning, right? And starting to think around and seeing different perspectives. Now, when it comes to emotions, it is helpful for everyone to understand the hows and the whys, right? How and why we think we do the way we do right? How we think, how it affects our behaviors, and how do we get unstuck? All of that is really important. And the key here is how we respond to the triggering situation, thought, physiological feeling, whatever, you know, whatever that response is, how we think about it, and how we get unstuck. So I'm going to go into some of the cognitive strategies, but I do want to just preface that with the fact that we, we we really need to have a lot of exposure to emotional experiences. So emotional exposures in the real world, that's such a critical piece. There's no point doing any of this if they are not having emotional exposures. So we want to be practicing emotion exposures repeatedly, daily, if we can, And then we're going to engage in learning debriefs afterwards so that we can promote the critical thinking of those experiences. That is so critical, so important. And I talk about that in my emotion uh, anxiety compass. Now, there's lots of things that I have to do, right? And there's a lot of things that we're going to have to do. Um, like, you know, some foundational skills, I have to have awareness of when, when I'm starting to get escalated or just even proactively, like, when is it when my amygdala starts getting triggered, right? When freaking out Fran shows up, right? Um, so I'm going to go through a few key skills to help build, um, or just ideas to build these skills, but always reach out. Like, I know I go fast. I give a lot of information, but just reach out if you want help, you know, setting any of this up. So I'd for sure want to start, again, ensuring they understand how their thoughts can really change depending on how we respond to them and giving lots of examples to teach that. But one of the first things, actually, there's 25 that I'm going to go through. I said a few, but I'm going to give you 25 different ideas. Okay, so bear with me. They're fast and furious here. So the first is Socratic questioning. We're going to ask open-ended questions. We're going to encourage kids to ask open-ended questions too. Like what is happening around them? What's contributing to this conspiracy? And maybe we're going to start with something really mild or, or even just a pleasant emotion. It doesn't have to be all, you know, fear and anger and frustration. Those are the types of, you know, m- emotional exposures that I often do when I'm working with kids because I want to get my biggest bang for the buck. But I am starting to to do a little bit more positive mood induction too, where maybe it's just looking at a funny video, right? Or, or, or something like that. Or we're looking at pictures and we're trying to figure out, interpret the picture based on the context. What is it that we're looking for, right? So, but if we're going to look at a conspiracy, what's contributing to the conspiracy? What is the information that's contributing to that? What information is there that might contradict this conspiracy? What's another angle, 
right? I think about Big Hero 6, if you've ever seen that movie. Um, so bring things in that they might be interested in. So Big Zero, he's, uh, Hero 6, he's really struggling. Like he wants to get into this university and he can't figure out what to do. He's trying to come up with, you know, a robot idea. And his brother comes in and he flips him over upside down and is like, got his um, legs up over his shoulders and just bouncing him. And his brother's like, hey, hey, right? And his brother's just saying, you know, you got to maybe see things from a different perspective, right? And so now his brother's upside down and he looks at his robots and then it comes to him. He just saw things from a different perspective. It's interesting because I just did a, um, a PD development day for, for a school. And um, one of the things was I had half the group listen to an audio clip and so they had to close their eyes and just listen and then i had the other group listen but they were also watching the video that corresponded with the video clip and it was just one sound that was repeated over and over and they each heard different things right and so it was just based on the extra stimuli of being able to see the picture and so it's very interesting to see like the one group is like, what are you talking about? No, this was the sound. They all heard the exact same clip, but the other group was like, um, no, we heard this, right? But it was mutual among the groups. Everyone within the group agreed what they heard, but we need to be able to see things from a different perspective. And why was it that this group, they had the extra visual stimuli. What about that? So now we can start engaging in critical conversation. Let's do some critical thinking because you saw the clip. What was it about your eyes that changed what you heard, right? Let's think about this. So it was it, a good opportunity that we can start thinking. So maybe there's things like that, right? That I want you to close your eyes you know, kid number one, kid number two, keep them open. Let's look at this clip and let's critically think, why are we hearing different things? Okay. So just a different example. Um, I create a checklist of questions that resonate for them as well. So we are asking them questions, but I want them to ask questions too. And that could be really helpful, you know, to go through themselves. Um, maybe they'll generate their own ideas, but essentially we want them to create their own alternative perspectives on emotion provoking situations. So sometimes having those questions just to help them think about, okay, what are some things that I need to evaluate here? Right. So, you know, in that conversation, they could have been looking at these questions to help them figure out what was going on from the different perspective. There's another one. There's an optical illusion of a frog, right? If you put the frog horse illusion. There, there's a frog and you can clearly see the frog right away. It's so automatic, but we need to shift, you know, our perspective because there's a, a horse. Like if you look at it from a different perspective, it's also a horse. You literally have to turn your head, right? And you, and then you can see the horse. And so it's just being able to, how can we look at that, right? Uh, for my Patreon members, I'll actually have a huge list for you that you can see and you can draw and that will help you, you know, you can give it to them just to find some of those alternatives and address, you know, their ability to cope looking at this. Um, I personally love rather than trying to find different perspectives, having them acknowledge their ability to cope. So that can be part of the questions and I'll have them in that list as well. 
That's key to anxiety management anyway, and part of resilience building. So yes, they could be asking themselves about, you know, the validity and, you know, what external sort of stimuli could I be evaluating here? But they could also be asking themselves questions about their own internal and maybe external resources to cope with the situation. Because the reality is, maybe people are looking at them funny. Maybe they are being laughed at right? Especially in social situations. I have zero control about how other children are going to respond or not. That's just the fact of life that kids can be mean. They really can be. And so maybe the reality is they are actually correct. Okay. So maybe then it's about, did you survive? If you know me, if you've done any of my training, I talk about, we got to face our fears. We got to face our fears. And yes, maybe the worst outcome won't happen. Maybe I won't get eaten by a monster, right? There's probably situations where we're pretty sure it's not going to happen, but maybe you're going to go to the dog park and a dog might bite you, right? There's no guarantee. Maybe the house will be broken into. There's no guarantee. There's nothing, right? Isn't there that saying? And, you know, there's no certainties in life other than death and taxes. Well, it's the same thing. So then did you survive? That's what we're focusing on. It's not about yes or no. Did it happen? It's okay. It did happen. Your worst fear did happen. And, and how did you cope? You're here to talk about it. Did you survive it? So looking at, and I think that we miss that piece, tapping into our resilience, right? And our capacity to cope. So if that worry was true, how can I survive it? Who is Who around me is going to help me survive it? How am I going to get through that, right? So again, lots of examples of those questions and resources in the, for the Patreon mom- members as well. So these, these questions are really aiming to explore the individual's internal resources, right? Their potential to cope with those challenging situations. And it's encouraging self-reflection and self-awareness. So helping them recognize their strengths and resilience. I love using stories. We often think that people who do brave things have this sort of unshakable confidence or fearlessness, but no one is fearless. And I always think of Ron from Harry Potter. He is not fearless at all, right? But certainly brave right and and we're all nervous in new situations like unless there's something going on with our amygdala and we're not fear you know um there there really is fearlessness but all of this right um we're 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 not immune to it and so it makes sense that those things are going to come up and and you know just teaching kids excitement stress and fear it kind of all feels the same but the resilient people The brave people, they are able to look at stressful situations as challenges to face, not threats to run away from. So we need to prime our brain to look for opportunities rather than threats. How can we create this into a challenge versus a threat? I do public speaking all the time and I'm always nervous. Actually, I'm not consciously aware of it anymore until I'm up on stage and I notice my voice trembling a little bit and I'm talking faster than I normally do, if if, if that's even possible. Uh, So you know, like I'm aware of those things. So I have this reaction, but I see all of that energy, you know, and I see everything for me to be able, great. Thank you, body, for bringing up all this adrenaline and cortisol for me to have the energy to go and do the things that I need to do. So I'm seeing it as a challenge to rise up to, not a threat to run away from. So we want to encourage that really opportunist sort of thinking. 
Um, I love doing things like externalization of voices or bounce back. So essentially, you know, um, the adults will take the worries. They are the worry voice, the conspiracies, and they're going to say the conspiracies to the kids. And the kids need to debate back. We're getting into a debate here, back and forth, why you're wrong. Now, some kids, if they can't do that, then I will make them be the worried voice. And I'm you know, the debate or the rebuttal to against it, why it's not actually true. And then we'll try to reverse. So with younger kids, I might have a, a ball where they're bouncing it back and forth, right? And so they can like really bounce it hard when they're really convicted and like, I'm not a scaredy cat. I can actually do this thing, right? So so I'm throwing a worry thought at them with a ball and they're bouncing back, you know, th- their counterattack against that. Uh, so, so getting them to challenge and even boss back those henchmen, right? And I talk a lot about this too in, in my anxiety training compass, um, where I, I, we can do lots of different activities, right? Um, we can do devil's advocate. We can, you know, what would you say to a friend if a friend was in the situation? What would you say to your grandma? What would your grandma say to you? What would your pet say to you? Would your pet call you a scaredy cat, right? What would your pet say? I do like the debates, right? And we can start on really neutral topics and then move towards more emotionally charged questions that can help kids really evaluate different viewpoints, which is really beneficial for challenging their anxious thoughts. And even, you know, I teach graduate students, Students, and that's one of the things that we we get into this big debate, whether they agree with the perspective that they're assigned to. So they're assigned to a perspective and they have to, and like one of the topics might be, for example, um, to diagnose or not. And there's four different sort of categories. So the extreme, yes, for sure. The extreme, no, not at all. Yes, for sure, for funding. You know, so there's just different perspectives anyways, and they have to get into a debate. And it's great when they have to take a perspective that they actually feel very strongly against. So just to have some of that cognitive flexibility as well. I love um, pros and cons, costs and benefits, doing those kind of analysis. So um, you can do this before making decisions, but also in emotional situations too. So when we're looking at worries, what are the costs and benefits of worrying? Because there is a benefit of worrying. They wouldn't worry you know, if, if, if it wasn't beneficial, if it wasn't somehow reinforcing and protecting and being good, like, why is it embedded in our brain from an evolutionary perspective? It's been very beneficial. So what is the favorable outcome, right? We do need to acknowledge those benefits because there are some. And right now, if, if the anxiety is impairing a kiddo's functioning, they're obviously outweighing any cons. So if you have a kiddo with separation anxiety, for example, you can either look at the thought or the behavior. You know, it doesn't matter which piece you're going to look at. What are the pros in crying for mom a little bit longer and or begging and pleading for mom to stay? What's the benefit? Well, mom gets to stay a little longer. Maybe I get to go home, right? Well, what are the cons? Well, everybody thinks I'm a crybaby. If I go home, I'm going to miss on learning and I actually like learning. I'm going to miss seeing my friends. I don't get to feed the class pet, right? I had a little girl um, guy that I was working with who hated the morning routine because he always was getting in trouble because he was never fast enough. Someone was always on his case because he was going too slow, right? And so we had, you know, these huge emotional meltdowns and and then not letting mom go either, 
So it ended up looking a lot like separation anxiety, but it was more about avoidance. So he didn't get yelled at because someone, you know, now mom was going to help him through his morning routines and someone was helping him and it was all hunky dory and nobody else had to yell at him. Right. But that was worth more than anything else, even though he hated looking like the baby and he was getting teased because his mommy still had to come to school and all of these things. But that that fear is so strong. And it's tricky because then the parenting protection attachment dynamic piece jumps in. We want to swoop in and I'll help. And then we just create those sort of cyclical um, problems, which is a problem. So, you know, once we, we saw what was going on with this little guy, of course, you know, we were able to turn it around, but that worry was protecting him. And that was way stronger than anything else. So we had to figure out first, what was the benefit you know, of, of those big emotional behaviors, because it is serving him somehow. And we need to figure that out, right? What's the function of the behavior? That's what it is. If we are externalizing our henchmen, it gets a lot easier when we're recognizing some of the conspiracies they like to spin. So I'm always externalizing, right? You are not your worry. So it's when does freaking out Fran show up? When does Yelly McYellerson show up, right? And parents and teachers and everybody can be doing this as well. And we're going to keep track of them so we can see that it's the same old story. It's the same old blah, 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 right? That's what we want it to get to is wah, 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 wah. So we want to have awareness and it's really helpful when we're able to externalize. So then we can start critically evaluating. And part of the awareness piece too is differentiating that helpful versus unhelpful part of worry. That is really key. So the pros and cons, but also what is actually helpful versus unhelpful. So yeah, it might be a pro that mom makes me feel more comfortable, right? But is it actually helpful? And at the end of the day, it is not, especially when we look at short-term consequences. So sure, in the moment, you might feel better, but in the long term, we just know this is just going to perpetuate and perpetuate and just get worse over time. So we want to look at what's actually helpful, right? So having the awareness to know whether they should buy into this conspiracy, is it helpful for me right now, but also in the long term? Or is it just wreaking havoc? Is it just getting in the way of things, right? We need to know, you know, what anxiety wants and do the opposite. Anxiety wants us to think the very worst so that we can run away and avoid it, right? So what is the opposite? It's to stay here with it and show worry that, you know, we got it, we can handle it. Uh the five wise technique, that could be another one. So I give, you know, often any of these, I know it's a lot of ideas, take them down, but use them as experiments. I don't know which one is going to work for which kid, right? So we need to make sure that we're looking and seeing what, what they're bought into, willing to try, because I don't know for sure what's going to be helpful. Um, I, I personally don't love asking why questions, but I do want to throw it out there because who knows, maybe if you experiment, one child might actually really enjoy this strategy, right? So we're just going to see, we're still in experimentation, we're filling up our toolbox. So maybe it's asking, you know, why I hate asking, why are you upset? But, you know, what is contributing to this? And let's ask five more whys in succession. So maybe why am I feeling this way? And why is that? Why is that? Why, why, why? Right. I personally prefer what, because why just already puts our brain into defense mode. You know, why are you thinking that? Why? It's, it just, it sounds blamey when we ask why. So maybe it's what, right? So what are you worried is going to happen? What would be bad about that? 
And what would be bad about that? And what about what would be bad about that? That's a good strategy for tweens, teens, and older. For younger kids, it can be really tricky. And so we might not want to do that for younger kiddos. We want to role play, right? So we could use role playing to work on any of these skills, but even to enact different scenarios and, uh, you know, ideally big scenarios that are problematic that we need to work through, right? So we're going to role play, but the key piece here is to think critically about the emotions and reactions. And maybe we're going to play out different scenarios. It's like one of, there's a horror movie. I can't remember what it's called, but there's like seven different, she's a novelist and she writes out like seven different ways that this horror that she's actually living in right now can play out, right? And so what are seven different ways that this situation can play out? And let's critically think about, you know, all the different emotions and reactions in that. That can be really helpful. And looking at other ways too to think critically too, right? So we can do it in role playing, but maybe it's things that they see on the internet. Maybe it's things that they see on social media and TV. There's so much garbage out there, right? Like so many, well, you know, even the ADHD quizzes, find out if you have ADHD, right? And it's like things that we all are struggling with when we don't feel well rested or whatever else, or, you know, there's the clickbait stuff. So let's just think about this critically or these huge, you know, sensational, well, I think of DJ, um, oh no, no, no. You know what a better story is? Um, He's with the uh, Kevin Hart. I heard a story about how he was like this overnight sensation, right? And and someone had said, oh, it was just the rock that made him famous or something like that. But Kevin Hart worked for a long, long time. And I bet he had a whole support system behind him supporting him because I bet there was low times when he was ready to give up right and 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 just wanting to throw it all away I'm sure there was times and he was there and he was working hard for a very long time before that but we don't see that we just see the overnight success and that doesn't actually happen I love the analogy of the ice cube right you can turn up an ice like the the temperature i can't remember what the exact numbers are but you can put an ice cube on the stove and turn it up and up and up and up and nothing happens and you could be there forever just one temperature fair you know if we're looking at um why can i not think of fahrenheit or celsius just one little degree one little degree one little degree one little degree nothing happens nothing happens you're wanting to give up but then all of a sudden it starts melting once you hit that melt point right and it's the same sort of thing but we need to think critically about the different things that they're seeing so you know all these flat earthers out there let's talk about it let's think critically how how can we be critical critical consumers that's really what i'm getting at here um, even with reading, let's get into the habit of critically reading. So um, let's summarize what we read. Let's question what we read. Let's connect what we've read to real life situations. That can be helpful. Maybe it could be really fun to be a critical reviewer. Let's watch a movie and we're going to critically review it, right? Two thumbs up, two thumbs down, four stars, whatever it is, or books. You know, maybe you're focusing on themes or characters or plot, you know, or is it hackneyed? Like, are there things that invoke strong emotion? So let's look at all of those things. And we want to encourage them, you know, in their own life too. identify 
um, and challenge whatever is coming up for their own assumptions, other people's assumptions. One of my classes that I'm teaching right now, we look at inferences that we make of other people, you know, based on maybe what they're wearing. Like one of the classes is actually an instructor wearing a t-shirt, you know, so what inferences are you making about this person? What information is giving you that, you know, how are you coming to those inferences? So that can be really helpful too. Active listening, I'm always talking about active listening. That's so important for us to be able to co-regulate with our children, but we're teaching them active listening skills too. That really helps them try to understand other people's perspective. So why is it that you're hearing ba and I'm hearing fa? Let's really look at this rather than what happens is we get into a fight. No, no, it's this, it's this, it's this, and it's a power struggle. The only way to get out of that power struggle is to actually listen and acknowledge the other person, even if you think they're off their rocker and there's no way that they could be right. We want to be able to listen. We're going to repeat back what we heard. We're going to interpret, you know, their emotional state or what's going on for them to really try to understand so we can come to that mutual understanding. That can be really helpful. Um, mindfulness is always so important, right? You know, first, mindfulness, we need to be mindful to be aware that these conspiracies are even coming up in the first place, right? Being aware that this is an emotionally charged situation in the first place. So, so that's where the mindfulness piece, but then mindfulness also enhances, you know, our focus, but the zooming out focus, not zooming in, I'm stuck, right? But just looking at some of those pieces that are really foundational, right? And just being able to manage our emotions in the first place. And and whether like, I, I know I have a lot of teachers who listen, you know, as a full class, or if, if you're a parent, a full family, if you're a clinician, group settings, you can use all of these too. So maybe create opportunities where they have to solve complex problems, you know, and we're going to encourage collective reasoning. I usually have one riddle that I will often give children, you know, one-on-one -on -one in my sessions, but it's really best done as a whole class or a whole group because you're hearing other people's questions, their lines of thinking. So together with our collective reasoning, and so it's giving us other opportunities to think about, oh, that's a good question. I never would even would have thought of that just to help them open their horizons, right? So giving them a riddle to sort of work through and everybody's sort of problem solving out loud. Uh, visual aids are always helpful, right? So um, uh, thinking maps or flow charts to really break down some of those complex thoughts or feelings or situations. You could do a SWOT analysis. So they're looking at their strengths, their weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You know, it could be when they're having to make a decision. It could be an emotionally triggered situation, but most of the time we want to practice it proactively, right? We're going to teach these skills proactively. But in any emotional situation, we always want to make sure uh, um, that they have mastered it, right? We're not going to just tell it to them and then tell them, use your SWAT when they haven't practiced it, right? So when they're flooded, it's not going to be important, helpful. So that's going to be important to think about. Uh, we want to be able to practice strategic thinking, practice planning. Maybe we're using hypothetical scenarios. That can be really helpful. I'm often talking about frameworks. A lot of our kiddos are missing this framework. So we want to give them a framework to help them with this. 
I mean, we can't ever know every single situation that could happen, right? That's what anxiety wants us to do, plan and prepare for every single situation that where something could go wrong. But if we give them a framework that helps them that, to figure things out that they can generalize from this and this and this, okay, yeah, I can use my framework, right? Then they can apply that from one situation to the next. And even things like teaching them to break down larger tasks or problems into smaller, more manageable parts. It could be cleaning their room, writing this essay, whatever it is that they need to do, breaking it down, that can really help facilitate that critical thinking piece. And like I said, it's an important skill for them anyway. Of course, whenever the opportunity arises, we we could encourage them to compare and contrast different viewpoints, right? So it could be their, their own thoughts. You know, how can we compare and contrast their own thoughts? It's kind of like the angel and the devil, right? So how can we develop a balanced perspective? Um, in my workshops in person, like I said, I will do those clips, right? Where they're hearing different things with their eyes closed. So just like I was talking about earlier and then being able to debate about what they heard. So that that can also be, right? What is helpful here? So that's an example of one comparison and contrast, but it could be differences in siblings or even for dinner, like you want chicken and you want steak, let's compare and contrast, right? But just really trying to hash out, listen to other people's side, you know, why is that the case? What, what would be beneficial about that? I mean, I guess it's coming back to pros and cons, but it's just looking at the different perspective. And that's the same thing too, you know, like even if we're looking at the outcomes, you could do A, you could do B, you could do C, you could do D. I want to include the good and the bad. So even if there's a kiddo who's terrified of the dark and they think they hear something out in the hallway and they're immediately monster or burglar, right? Something for sure is going to be bad, you know, something bad that's happening. Okay, sure. Those are two potential ideas. Let's think of three more. I don't want to get rid of those two. I don't want to say your monster idea is ridiculous. The burglar is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. I don't want to do that. I want to include those in the list because A, again, we want to validate their experiences. And when, But B, like if we're always trying to tell them, you know, think of positive thoughts, look at the silver lining. Why do you always have to go to the negative? We actually feel worse and it's harder for us. Or like our brain wants to close down even more. It makes it harder to think of different perspectives. We want to keep them all up there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So we want to be able to compare and contrast all of those different ideas. Okay. So that's important to you. So you could do that again with the optical illusion. Like I was talking about the the horse, right? And the frog, they could probably only see the frog, but if you've done it and you can see the, the, the horse, maybe we can look at this a little bit different. Or again, think of Big Hero 6, where we need to see things from a different angle. I will leave it there for today. I always wanted to keep these, you know, short and sweet, but I always have so much information to give. So these are just some ideas. I mean, there's always so much more. I can never cover anything in one episode, it seems. But with anything, we, of course, need to, you know, figure out what works for any individual child. And a lot of the teaching is all proactive. I can't stress that enough. They have to learn and practice the skills before we can expect them to be able to use them in an emotionally charged situation. That's really important. I know I need to do an episode on all the little henchmen. I keep talking about the henchmen and there are so many. There's only two that really we actually need to target, but sometimes it can be helpful to really personalize and individualize. So maybe I'll I'll look at doing that in the future. So looking at all these little henchmen and how they show up and ideas to target each of them. 
just to add to our toolbox, right? To that larger critical thinking toolbox. That's really what it is. There's so many other skills wrapped up in this too. We got to think flexibly, right? We need to be able to problem solve. So I know I've talked a lot about these skills. I go through all of them in depth in my anxiety compass training, but I will be bringing up more as well in future episodes. So definitely keep joining me. Um, I'll leave it there today. Thank you for showing up today. Let's go help our kids be bold and courageous, and I will see you next time. Thank you.